time willing, we left off last week in verse 4 with communion. We're going to hopefully pick it up here in verse 5, and I'm hoping to finish up the chapter. This is one of those chapters where you want to do the whole thing at once. If you start to break it up into too many sessions, you lose the continuity of what the Lord is really trying to say. So we want to do verses 5 through 29 tonight and really get a feel for what's going on. Now, we left off last week in chapter 12, and we finished up this idea of chapter 11 of the heroes of faith. Forty different characters there from the Old Testament that we got a chance to look at and say, how did they live the life? And the verse we really focused on is that the just shall live by faith. We need to live the life, not just talk about it, not just show up at church for a couple hours on a Wednesday or Sunday, but to really put this into practice. So we had all these examples in chapter 11. Then in chapter 12, it says, okay, you had all those examples, but now make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's what we did last week. What does it mean to keep our eyes on Christ, to fight this battle of sin, to run the race that it talks about there in verse 1, letting go of every sin and weight that pulls us back, running, looking unto Christ. Now, with that same mindset, Jesus, in this relationship we have with him, he takes the same point in verse 4, you have not resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. The battle that we're in against sin Sometimes that battle that we're in comes from our Father who is lovingly disciplining us as children. Now let's just pick this up here in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, Now chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what are we talking about here? Verses 1 through 4, we're talking about letting go of the weights and sins that bring us down. Verse 4, we talk about how it's going to be difficult to let go of these things. This race that we're supposed to run as believers, sometimes we add extra weight on us. The weight of sin and temptations that we, instead of dying to, we say, well, Lord, I kind of like this. I want to keep a little bit of this with me. Now we get into this and God says, you know what? As a son of the Father, he's going to have to discipline us sometimes. And that's the subject tonight, is being disciplined by your Heavenly Father. Now, please note that this is supposed to be good. Take a look at verse 5. You've forgotten the exhortation. Some of your translations, you've forgotten the encouragement. It's a good thing that God disciplines you. He chastens you, disciplines, rebukes, corrects you. Because since he does that, verse 6, it shows that he loves you. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So if you have ever been corrected by your Heavenly Father, been disciplined by your Heavenly Father, it shows that you are loved by Him. You are loved. Because take a look at verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. If your Heavenly Father is not correcting you, you're not His kid. That's an issue. Now, you guys have all walked through Walmart before. You've seen many kids that you wish you could chasten. Discipline, correct, rebuke. 
What keeps you from going over to those kids in the middle of Walmart? They're not yours. They're not yours. And so therefore, when you're out in public, you see them, and you don't do anything about it. It's not your kid. Now, if it was your kid, you would do something about it. Why? Because you have a relationship with your child. You are the mother. You are the father. If there's no relationship, you're not going to step in and say, excuse me, ma'am, may I take your child for a while? No. See, just simply listen to the point that God is saying. He goes, listen, if you feel that right now you're being corrected by the Lord, if you feel that right now God is trying to get into your life and make changes, hey, you're loved. Be encouraged. He loves you, and he loves you enough to want to work in your life. If you do not feel that correction from the Lord ever, verse 8, you may not be his kid. That's a danger. That's an issue. And basically, the writer of Hebrews is saying is you should understand this point. Because take a look at verse 9. You had a human father who corrected you. And it says in verse 9, you had a human father who corrected you, and you actually respected them. Now, some of you may have come out of the most dysfunctional of dysfunctional households. But you probably at least understand the concept of a human father correcting. And maybe your human fathers did not correct in the most biblical, loving way. I don't know. And maybe as you got older, it was very difficult to respect them. But you at least understand the concept that he's saying is the respect for the father and that your father's human earthly fathers are trying. They're at least trying. So with that being said, if you could at least find a tiny, tiny little bit of respect for your earthly father who may have been awful, should you not find it much more easier to find respect for your heavenly father? Now, if you had a great earthly father that you just knew loved you and was trying to raise you in the right way, and you look at him now and you just respect him so much, writer Hebrews saying, well, then it should be even easier for you to say that my heavenly father loves me even more than that. So if we can respect our sinful earthly fathers, can we not at least respect our heavenly father even more? Verse 10, our earthly fathers, for a few days they chastened us. A few days. Now, you may be thinking it wasn't a few days. Some of you may have kids at home right now, you're thinking it's not a few days. Think about it. The time of correction, the window of correction is very, very small. Once kids get older to a certain age, you can say a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. They may not listen. So when the Bible says a few days, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, there's really a pretty small window in the whole scheme of life to really make an influence on a child. And our earthly fathers, verse 10, are trying to do the best that they can. They chastened us as seemed best to them. Now, parents, if you're here tonight and you still got kids at home, you probably keep yourself up at night sometimes thinking about your children. I had a thought not too long ago. I think it was just last week. I was laying in bed. I couldn't sleep, and I was going through my five boys. And I came to the conclusion I basically have ruined two of them. I'm pretty sure of that already, you know? Because you look at it, it's like, oh, man, why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? I could have handled that so much better. And this even little situation's life, there was something today. I'm leaving out here for church. I, this, on the way to church, I thought, oh, man, just something simple. Could have handled that. It's like, Lord, I, I want another chance. to Give me an opportunity to go represent you to them. Because the hard part is, and some of you know this, once that relationship gets a little bit broken, it's hard. It could take years, decades maybe to repair And our earthly fathers, verse 10, did the best that they thought they could. But now think about this. Verse 10, our earthly fathers, they tried to do their best. Some of them screwed up big time. 
But not God. Verse 10, everything he does is for our profit. For our profit. That's a really interesting word. When you think of the word profit, you think of obviously money. And that obviously is part of that meaning. But if you really get into the Greek of this word, it means to bring a oneness. See, what God is saying, he says, I love you enough to correct you to make us closer as one. Think about that. So when you start to stray a little bit, God says, I'll get in there and I'll get a little mean with you lovingly to get your attention. Think back to the very famous psalm, Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff, they what? Comfort me. How does a rod and staff comfort you? Back during that time, sometimes if you had a little sheep that was trying to get away, you'd smack them with the rod. You got their attention. They stayed closer. So when thy rod and thy staff comfort me, it actually carries a connotation of discipline. So God loves me enough that when I start to stray, he will get into my life and chasten me, discipline me, rebuke me, correct me. It can hurt, but he's doing it, verse 10, for my profit. He wants a oneness with me. And what does he want? For our profit that we may become partakers of his holiness. Partakers of his holiness. See, that word partakers is a really interesting word too. When you study that out in the Greek, it shares a connection with food. Because you have to remember back during Bible times, if you ate a meal with somebody, you were becoming one with them. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees got so angry at Jesus for eating with tax collectors and Pharisees and harlots, etc. How dare you sit down and have a meal with them because you're showing a oneness with them. So this word literally is saying, in verse 10, For they indeed for a few days chastened us, it seemed best, but God our Father chastens us to make us more one with Him, that we may be even one with His holiness. Such a connection there. Think about that the next time you start to stray and God gets in your life and you're getting grouchy and grumpy because you're going down a path you shouldn't. The Lord's convicting you and rebuking you. He's loving you to get your attention. He's trying to take you deeper. He's trying to take you in more into a depth of oneness. I don't know about you, but when I'm in that spot spiritually and the Lord's working on my heart, I don't feel the love. I get grouchy. I get upset. I take it out on dawn. I take it out on the kids. And I've told you for years out here, if I come home and I'm not in a great mood, dawn will tell me what's wrong. And I'll snap or something like that. And she'll say, that's not the issue. You're not really upset at me. You're really not upset at the kids. You're not really upset at that. There's something deeper going on. And she's told me sometimes over the years, she goes, you need to go away for a little bit and get this figured out spiritually and come back when you're in a better mood. And I'm not making that up. That's almost verbatim. She's got a lot of wisdom. Now, at the moment, I don't look at it as wisdom. I think at the moment, I quote some verse about women remaining silent in the church. But looking back with a clearer picture heart, I see what she's saying. I see what she's saying. I do the same thing with my kids. The other day, one of my boys did something they shouldn't have done, and there was a quick little rebuke. Just, just a quick little rebuke. We were outside. Next thing you know, you see their head down, arms crossed, and they disappear to the side of the house. It's like, no, I went and grabbed him. said, no, we're not doing that. Listen, I love you. It's over. It's done. I corrected you. I rebuked you. We're moving on here, buddy. We're not going to go sit and pout about it now. We're not going to go sit and fuss about it. We're not going to stew about it. It's over. I love you enough to correct you. God loves us enough to correct us. Now the problem is verse 11. Now no chastening, no rebuke, no discipline, no correcting 
seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Right there it is. Your kids don't want to be disciplined. We don't want to be disciplined. People going into the prison system don't want to be disciplined. It's painful. That's the point. It's supposed to sting enough to remind you to not do it again. If there is no sting, then you'll just keep on doing it. The punishment has to be enough to get our attention. It has to be. Look throughout the Bible. God has done some pretty big things out of love to the nation of Israel to get their attention. Hey, nation of Israel, for 490 years, you did not honor me with the Sabbath year. I'm going to let Babylon come in and take you, overtake you, and you're going to give me 70-year time out in Babylon, 490 divided by 7, 70 years. And once you get done with your little spiritual time out, I'm sending you back, we'll rebuild the temple, we'll rebuild the walls, and we'll start from scratch. That's what he did to the nation. He loved them enough to do it. I do that with my kids. Hey, listen, you're grouchy, you're grumpy. I need you to go into your room, do devotions for a little bit, pray a little bit, come back out when you got joy. Same thing, nation of Israel. God loved Jonah enough to do what? Big fish, I'm going to swallow you, Jonah. Loved you enough to discipline, to correct you. Doesn't seem fun. It can seem painful. But look at the end of verse 11. Afterwards, it yields fruit. It yields fruit by what? Those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. Good old King James was out there. Yours says exercised by it. That word literally means worked out. When you work out, what happens? You sweat. Your muscles hurt. You can be sore. But it's for the greater good later on. What God is saying is, I'm going to put you through a little bit pain now to get your attention so that way you can have fruit later on in life. And some of you have been through that in your life. It's love. Some of you are going through it right now. Quit fighting it. It's love. For some of you, it goes on for a couple hours, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years. God loves you enough to get your attention. Never, ever forget that. That's how much of a great father he is. He wants a oneness with you, and he wants to train you, and he will do what he needs to do to get your attention out of love. So do we understand that concept? Any quick questions, comments, complaints about any of that first section there? Megan. Would he do it on purpose? Is that what you're saying? Well, you're saying would he ever take away the peace, the joy, the happiness just to see what we would do? Yeah. Uh, I don't think he would because Galatians uh, 5, and 23 says that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So peace, love, patience, peace, joy, etc. Those are all fruits that come out of a relationship with him. So, so therefore, if those start to disappear, somebody comes to me and says, James, I have no joy in my life. I have no peace in my life. I have no nothing in my life. I would say, okay, those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those fruits come out of John 15, abiding in the Lord, going deeper. Let's see where you're at spiritually. I don't think God ever one day would say, you know what? Megan has too much joy. No joy today, Megan. 
No. That's just part of the fruit of the Spirit of your walk with the Lord. So when you start to see the peace and the joy start to go downhill, you have to stop and say, what's going on spiritually inside of me that those are starting to disappear? Anybody else got anything here before we go on? Okay. So you heard it. You got it. Verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down on the feeble knees. I summarize verse 12 as man up. Okay, you know God loves you. You know he's going to correct you to get your attention. So quit whining and complaining. Because he's doing this because he loves you. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So verse 12, man up. Realize the Lord is working on your heart. Don't fight it. Don't argue with it. You have areas of weakness in your life that need to be strengthened. And guess what? That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. Anybody that's ever gone through a surgery or had a physical therapy following, you know what I'm talking about. That area had become weak due to resting from the surgery, and it's time now to get it strengthened again. Not fun, but you have to start working it. So often we have areas in our Christian life that are strong. So since those areas are strong, we kind of keep working them. God says, I want you to work the areas that are weak. So therefore, if you have a problem with patience, I'm going to bring as many people into your life as I can that test your patience. If you have a problem with loving unlovables, he's always going to have an unlovable in your life. If you have a problem with joy in all circumstances, well, then you know what? He's going to have some situations pop up where you can say, can I rejoice always? That's what the Lord does. He's strengthening the weak areas. And he wants you, verse 13, to get on the right path, the straight path, so you don't have any dislocated items or anything lame. You keep the area clean and straight. What does that mean spiritually? You have a path that you're walking on in life. Do you put items in that path that keep you from going deeper in the Lord? Are there things online, the Internet, that keep you from walking a straight path? And you need to get rid of those things. Is there certain shows you shouldn't watch? Are certain things you shouldn't do? Is there certain people you shouldn't be around? Certain people you shouldn't go talk to that keep that path from being straight? You have a responsibility to look at your Christian walk and say, those items trip me up. So since they trip me up, I'm going to get rid of them so that way my path can be straight. And then verse 14, I'm going to pursue peace and holiness. I'm going to put an effort into it. It always blows my mind when I run into believers that don't think they need to say they're sorry. They don't need to ask for forgiveness. They don't need to pursue peace. Boy, there's so many passages. If somebody has something against you, you're supposed to leave your gift at the altar and go to them and make it right. Pursue peace. Now, the full context of this teaching, Romans tells me that you can't always have peace with people. You can try to build a bridge and they may not build it back. But you know you've done your part of pursuing peace. You're pursuing holiness. Holiness, being like God, being like God in your actions. Is this something that glorifies the Lord? The other day we were doing devotions with the boys. Really simple verse out of Psalms. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. 
Lord, what am I allowing in the path of my life that is wicked, that's keeping me from pursuing holiness? Now, what happens if you don't do these things? What happens when you don't man up? What happens when you don't pursue peace, you don't pursue holiness, when you don't get your path right? Verse 15, the root of bitterness. When you run into a believer that is bitter about life, they're not happy with their marriage, they're not happy with what they're doing, they're not happy with anything, there's a root of bitterness going on there. You know what the problem with the root of bitterness is? Pastor Rich just taught on this at a Saturday teaching not too long ago, and it really hit me. The root is below the ground. You don't see it. So when you are looking at your life and you're saying, well, I don't see any bitterness in me, it's not a visible on the surface. It's something you have buried. It's something that somebody has done to you days, weeks, months, years, decades ago. I've done counseling with couples where they're bringing up things from 30 years ago. That's a root of bitterness. And the problem with the root, you know this as well as I do. You've got to get rid of that root or it will keep doing what? Verse 15, springing up. Have you ever seen that in relationships, marriages, other relationships with people? Like you have a good week or two and then that thing springs up again. Then you have a good week or two, then it springs up again. Maybe you have a good month or two, then it springs up again. Why? Because it's a root that's never been taken care of, and it's hiding under the surface. And unless you're willing to get in there and dig this up, it's going to do what? Verse 15, cause trouble and defile people. It will cause trouble at home. It will defile your family, defile your walk, your witness, you name it. If you got something that's underneath the surface and you're not dealing with it, that is going to be a spiritual killer to you. And I cannot encourage you enough, through prayer, through fasting, through personal time with communion, you got to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I am harboring this bitterness towards this situation, towards this person, towards these results, and it is eating me alive. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that is going to kill you spiritually. You're going to become, verse 16, like Esau, who's only focused on the flesh. You remember the story of Esau? Esau had this amazing inheritance coming. And it's not about the wealth and the money and all that. He had the blessing that the Messiah could have come from his lineage. You know the story. Esau comes back in from hunting. He's an emotional guy. He's a drama guy. He likes to exaggerate. And I'm going to starve to death. Have you ever seen that? Wives, have your husband ever come home from work and he's about ready to starve to death? And you look at him and say, I've known you for 20 years, honey. You ain't starving. It's about 50 pounds that have to come off before you're starving to death here. We like to exaggerate about that. Esau, I'm going to die unless I eat. Jacob, whose name means deceiver, has an opportunity. Give me your birthright, I'll give you food. And Esau's great response, what difference does it matter if I die? Sold him his birthright. Now what happened? Verse 17, he wanted that blessing back and he sought it with tears. You ever seen those people? They always have the right thing to say. Oh, honey, this time it's going to be different. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to watch what I say. I'm going to go deeper in the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. The writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, fruit will come out of a life that's really changed in the Lord, and you'll be able to see that fruit. If we keep going back to the same patterns and habits, we have to stop and say in verse 15, what root of bitterness is there that I'm not dealing with that keeps coming back up again and again and again? Because I really want to go deeper. I will accept the chastisement, discipline of the Lord, and I'll have him get in there and take care of that root that needs to be dealt with. Any quick questions, comments about this before we move on? Ryan.
Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. God shows up to Job. I love that. In Job 38, yeah, basically, Job, you've been talking here for uh, 35 chapters. Man up and talk to me now. Um, so man up is almost biblical, so you could probably say that to people. But that, no, it's a good verse. Job 38 there, three. Anybody else have anything before we go on? Megan. That's a good testimony there. When you are chastised, you know you're the Lord's child. And, and that's the point that Hebrews is trying to tell us here is, listen, it is not fun, it's not pleasant, but it shows that you are loved. You're loved. Got to remember that. All righty, so here, I want to try to finish this up. This is actually going to go pretty quick as we get to the second half here. Basically, we end with verse 17 of desiring a relationship. And we have the example of Esau that desired the relationship but couldn't have it. Because Why? He was not being godly. He was not seeking the Lord. He was, verse 16, a profane person. Profane, literally a godless person. He wanted the relationship, but didn't want to have a godly relationship. So now what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, if you're going to try to get to God on your own merits and your own good works, he goes, let me remind you, verse 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sounds of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they cannot endure what was commanded. And if so, if a, as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now you may say, what are we talking about here? This is Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, we have Israel coming out of Egypt, and they're getting ready to receive the law. God says, now on Mount Sinai, I will give you the law, Moses. But here's the catch, Moses. I'm going to come down and give this to you. I'm God. You're not. So I'm going to meet you on the mountain, but I need you to do some stuff for me, Moses. You need to tell everybody to get cleaned up. Literally, go take a bath, everybody. Spiritually speaking, if you have to be clean. To know the Lord. And he actually says in Exodus 19, he goes, I need you to fence off the mountain. Because if somebody would come near the mountain, they're going to get killed. Not because I don't love them, but because I'm so holy and you're not. If an animal strays near, you're going to have to kill it. And there's going to be these thunders and lightnings and the sounds of trumpets. Because this is the presence of God. Now that sounds mean. God is saying, no, don't touch me. Because you can't. You will die. I mean, if one of my little boys goes over to the oven that's fire red, I would do everything. I, I would tackle them. Don't touch it. I'd rather have them a bruise for me tackling them than a burned hand. What God is saying here is if you try to approach me on your own works and you try to come to this mountain of holiness, you're going to die. So if you really want a relationship with me, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God in heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. He goes, but you're not coming to Mount Sinai for the law. 
What you're coming in is to Zion, Jerusalem, or very simply put, verse 24, Jesus. You're coming to a picture of grace, to a picture of blood. Now, I think verse 24 is a great verse. I love the way the New Living Translation reads. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. See, Jesus says, my blood is not screaming for vengeance like Abel. Remember, Abel was killed by Cain. He's saying, my blood gives you life. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, how are you going to approach God right now? You're going to approach God via works, through your own righteousness. I'm a decent person. You're going to go near the mountain and you're going to get shot by lightning. Or are you going to approach God through Jesus, the mediator? Now think back to what we've been saying on Sundays. We know this information. Why would we not go tell everybody? I keep going back to that quote that that we shared a couple Sundays ago, that quote by that atheist. said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about eternal life? If you truly believe in eternal life, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? And And I don't want to repeat all of Sundays, but listen, people, we get caught up in commitments and calendars. It's supposed to be about Christ. So therefore, your day, according to James, is just a vapor. So when you get up in the morning, you may have responsibilities that you need to do. Yes, go be a good worker. Go represent the Lord at work or at home, what have you. But ultimately speaking, Christ is your focus. And my focus is to go tell people about Jesus. Because what really is happening here is this. Somebody wants to know the Lord. There's two ways to go. You can go to Mount Sinai and the thunders, the lightnings, whatever, and God and His holiness, you'll die. Or you can go through Jesus. And have life. We know the truth. We need to tell people that. That is our focus. It's not about you, your house, your job, your kids. It's about Christ and Christ alone and representing him in whatever way you can. And then just to kind of remind us here, let's finish this up. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Right? of Hebrews is saying, don't reject this. For if they do not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. He goes, listen, listen. If there was punishment for not accepting Moses' words, a human, imagine the punishment from not accepting Jesus' words that were heavenly. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, of things that are made, the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What this is saying is this. God says, very simply put, He goes, I'm going to shake everything up. The things left standing, it's the stuff you need to focus on. So when the Lord comes into your life and wants to shake everything up, allow him to do that. You'll start realizing that, you know what? That pat on the back at work really doesn't matter. That extra paycheck really doesn't matter. What everybody thinks of me really doesn't matter. What matters most is Christ and Christ alone, representing Christ to my kids, my wife, the ministry that God has given me, that's really all that matters. So often we put so much emphasis on things that when shaken will fall down. God is saying, stick to the things that matter. Or as it says in verse 27, the things that remain. That's what matters more than anything. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Look at verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. That's the focus. You serve a God that is a consuming fire. That's not a fire of hate. That's not a fire of anger. 
It's holiness. And if we want to approach that holiness, verse 24, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. If you think you're going to get there on your own with works, whatever, I encourage you, go back and read Exodus 19 and just imagine uh, Fred the Israelite saying, you know what, I'm going to walk up that mountain. How soon would he have been toasted? It's not that God didn't love him. God says, I'm holy, I can't have you come near me. But that same mountain of holiness and perfection, you can take the hand of Jesus and walk right up it because it's through Christ through Christ. Remember when we started studying out the temple, that holy of holies that only the high priest could go in one day of year. When Jesus died on the cross what happened? The veil was torn top to bottom. We have access to God through Christ. We know this. Now let's go live it and what we do and what we say. We know that he's a consuming fire. Let's live it in all that we do and say and say, Lord, it's really all about you. All about you. Any final questions, comments here from uh, Hebrews 12? It's getting close to 8 o'clock. Puts us in good shape for Hebrews chapter 13. Some great stuff getting into next week there as we get ready to finish up Hebrews. But hey, I just want to finish with this. I think it was today. I can't remember. Um, and some of you may read uh, Greg Laurie's devotional, and I believe this is the one from today. He actually talked about Hebrews 12. And I just want to share this little quick paragraph to kind of as a final thought. Hebrews 12, 6 says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. To loosely paraphrase, Whom God really loves, he spanks, because he cares about you. He applies the board of education to your seat of understanding. Some of us need to trip behind God's woodshed. When that happens, don't recoil and complain that it's unfair. Instead, rejoice that God loves you enough to deal with you as a father deals with his son or daughter. Boy, that's a good point. It's love. God loves you enough to get your attention, and I tell you, we praise him for that. Hey, any final questions, comments here before we close up? All right, if anybody's got anything they want to pray about, I'll hang out up here for a while. Definitely feel free to pop up and pray. Hey, let's stand as we kind of close out. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us as a father loves a child. Lord, help us to be willing to listen to your your spirit of conviction and on those things in our lives that we need to change, Lord, for you, for your glory, not for us. Lord, help us to understand that we represent you. That is all that matters. Let us let go of any earthly commitments. Let us go of anything that's choking us out and really stop and say, Lord, I'm representing you. We thank you. We praise you and always say and do in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.